Narada Muni just uh, told uh, Dhruva, gave him some Brahminical instructions. Um, and Dhruva Maharaj is about to reply. Oma jnana timrandasya jnana shalakaya chakshurun militam yena tasmai shri gurave namaha. Dhruva Maharaj says, My dear Lord Naraji, for a person whose heart is disturbed by the material conditions of happiness and distress, whatever you have so kindly explained for attainment of peace of mind is certainly a very good instruction. But, as far as I am concerned, I am covered by ignorance, and this philosophy does not touch my heart. So he said, Juva uh, said to Narada, I mean, Narada said to Juva, uh, you know, just shanti, shanti. Yeah, uh, uh, what's that verse? Sukha dukha samekritva labdha labdha jayam jaya in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna says that you should be equally, equally poised in happiness and distress. And he says that also that the sage sees gold and a pebble as equal and vidya vinaya sampane brahmani gavihastini suni chaiva swapakecha pandita samadarshina that the pandit, the, the great, the brahmana sees with equal vision samadarshina uh, the everyone, the the great, the learned sannyasi, the, the common person, uh, the cow, the elephant, the dog, even the dog eater. He sees that they everyone has a soul. And Druva is saying, "Oh, I can't handle this instruction. Give me something a little bit more akin to my nature, because um, that kind of peaceful shanti shanti is not for me." He's saying because I have this chatriya blood. Right? So Prabhupada writes, there are various classes of men. One class is called akama, akamis, referring to those who have no material desires. Desire must exist, either material or spiritual. Material desires arise when one wants to satisfy one's personal senses. One who is ready to sacrifice anything to satisfy the Supreme Personality of Godhead can be said to have spiritual desires. So, so this is a very important point. The soul, we are by nature a desiring pers- uh, entity. So it's just a question of what we desire. And when people try to say, no, we become totally desireless, uh, they misunderstand this word, akami, because kami means someone who has mater- desires, and akami means someone who doesn't have desires, right? But the soul can't, is conscious uh, and can't be free from desire. So it's just a question of what kind of desires we have. And Srila Prabhupada was very fond of quoting this verse from the Prema Vivarta. It says, Krishna buli jiva bhogavanchakare pasate mayatare japatiyadhare. That's in uh, Bengali. When the individual soul forgets his eternal relationship with God and tries to lord it over material nature or resources, that condition, that forgetful condition is called maya or illusion. So, so, we, so it's just what do we want in this? What do we want? That's the question that we can constantly be asking ourselves. 
And what the Gita says is we should want that which can never be taken away from us. Right? So you can't you you can you can gain or lose wealth, you can gain or lose happiness, you can gain or lose so many things in this world, but our relationship with Krishna, our relationship with God can never be taken away. And so we should search after desiring that which we can never lose. We may be very healthy right now, but we don't remain healthy forever. It's impossible. Right? Two famous people passed away this past week, right? Aretha Franklin and uh, Senator McCain. Senator McCain at one time was a very healthy person, even when he was captured by the Vietnamese and for so many years, right? And then he, if you see the pictures of him when he got out of captivity and was replenished his health, he was... But nobody, you know... What's that verse? Jatasya hi druvam druvam janmam that everyone has to get, you know, janma, mrityu, jaraviyati. We all have to get uh, old and uh, diseased and finally enter another body. So we should desire spiritual things. And sometimes the idea of like desiring something spiritual sounds really boring. You know, the material world is so exciting. Who's, you know, the Redskins going to win and, you know, and this and that and so many things. Uh, Right, you know, there's just read the newspaper. It seems kind of interesting. You know, okay, well, there the hurricane didn't really clobber Hawaii too much. Oh, very interesting, you know, and uh, and the fires in California and this and that and you know this actress is doing that and this actor is doing that, um, and then spiritual life. Uh, I used to joke that uh, there was a joke in. Uh, in India, that if you have, if you suffer from insomnia, just pick up the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> but that's not a fact, actually. Actually, uh, one time, Srila Prabhupada, uh, our founder, when he, um, uh, his his guru, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur, um, wanted to, he came out, come up with a. Sp- a newspaper all about spiritual things that came out daily. And people said, how are you going to fill up a daily newspaper about spiritual things? A daily newspaper every 24 hours? And his reply was, you could write a, a newspaper about spiritual life every 24 minutes or every minute. You know, I, you know, but, so actually spiritual life is not at all meant to be boring. Uh, you know, every every word in the spiritual world is a song, and every step is a dance. So it's meant to be. Uh, it's not meant to be boring at all. So, Srila Prabhupada in the Bhagavad Gita writes that um, when when there was a description of the spiritual world in the eighth chapter, he says we should be captivated by this information. We should be captivated by by the descriptions and the. Bhagavatam and the Puranas and the Brahma Sanghita about, you know, Chintamani Prakara Sadma Sukalpa Briksha. Right? That the, uh, the, these things should attract us to, to spiritual things. And when we become attracted like that, then the going ons in this world become pale in comparison. 
So it's what are we attracted to is a question. So then a little further on in that purport, Srila Prabhupada writes, in the Bhagavad Gita it is said that persons who are actually advanced in spiritual life do not care for the dual behavior of this material world. But Dhruva Maharaj frankly admitted that he was not beyond the affliction of material distress and happiness. He was confident that the instruction given by Narada was valuable, yet he could not accept it. So, we are, so we're instructed, you know, like I said, I quoted those verses earlier, to see things equally, right? To have that equal vision of happiness and distress and, and, and this is good and this is bad because all day long we're kind of like, our mind is like that. Oh, this is good, right? Um, and to rise, kind of transcend that. And, but our minds naturally accept and reject. That's the nature of the mind. So another way to look at it is to do spiritual accepting and spiritual rejecting. Accept things that are favorable to our spiritual practices and reject things that are, that are not favorable to our spiritual practices rather than accept things that are, give us pleasure and reject things that don't give us pleasure. Right? Because you, know, you can become quite unhealthy the other way because we can always accept pizza and reject Sock, you know, spinach, <laughs> right? Like that. But actually, one is a lot healthier for for, for you than the other. <laughs> yes, microphone for Vinoji. But what he's saying, it's not very easy. I've seen both people when distress come and how yeah. they react. Uh, it's not easy. Not easy, uh, but I've seen uh, in ISKCON system some very good examples, like for Bhakti Tirth Maharaj. Very good example. So this is my fortunate or unfortunate both because he was here. I did not get in his association, but just before departing this world, I read about him uh-huh. and I got really, you know, wanted to see him. So I went to see him Gita Nagri. You went to Gita Nagri. And uh, I heard he had a cancer, right? Yes, he had cancer. So when I went there with my couple friends, I was told that he cannot see anybody because he's uh, very, very critical. Indisposed, yes. So I was very disappointed. Mm-hmm. So I was just sitting in temple. Then all of a sudden somebody came. Oh, he's coming in temple. <laughs> and he came in temple. And he looks like had no problem. He was face was shining, like you know, mm-hmm. I never seen that person, and well dressed and everything, you know. And then he start kirtan, you know, like unbelievable, and his tears are flowing in love, like I've not seen that thing. <laughs> and few days later on, he left this world. Left. Yes. So that's one thing. What you said to just attach Krishna. And Yes. He did not think, why to me, I have done everything for you. I went to <laughs> Africa, I, Nansen Mandela came and 50,000 people came. Why to me? Right. And person like me, you know, maybe questioning every day, you know, I did everything. Why I'm going through with so young age, you know, this suffering. Yes, it takes a, it's a different vision, you're right. Yeah, one time he said, uh, he was, Radhana Swami was reading uh, the Chaitanya Charitamrita, this wonderful book about Lord Chaitanya to him. And, you know, he has cancer and he's suffering and he turns to Radhana Swami and says, it doesn't get any better than this. 
So he's, it's, I mean, it's easy to say it, but the, you know, it's not so much what happens to us that tests a human being, it's how we react to what happens to us. So you're giving a perfect example of reacting in, a, in a accepting things spiritually. The, the self-pity, it can be very strong in us. And I've seen other examples. Those people came many year temples and every, they did everything. When the last days came, and they say, well, I'm not going. You know, you didn't do anything. To me. You know, so <laughs> they got very... You know. Yeah. So that's very hard, you know, for, but Bhakti Dirt Maharaj was very highly... Yes. ...elevated soul. So he gave us a good example. Very good example. Yes. Yeah. And Prabhupada himself gave a wonderful example. He was... He was on his deathbed and still translating the Bhagavatam <laughs> with total clarity of mind. Next person, uh, since you're talking, Leela Nandan, if you... Oh, ah, yeah, Leela Nandan. Here Prabhu, is yeah. another example. Yes, another example, yes. Yeah, I went to see so him this, I this, see you, and he, were, he was worried about Govinda, not just uh, himself. This process yeah. works. Yeah. Process works, yes. So... Um, it's not easy to be neutral, though, is it, to this world? Therefore, we're not really instructed to be neutral, but to anukulyasya uh, sankalpa pratikulyasya varjanam, to accept things favorable to bhakti and to reject things unfavorable. So I know I'm speaking a lot in this verse. One more point, though. Uh, but, well, first, any other comments on these first two points? The point about neutrality and akama and anything? Yes, uh, Hare Krishna, I just have a quick comment. Okay. This uh, um, comment given by Dhruva Maharaj is exactly the same. How my mother replied to me when I, t- when I told her the same thing. <laughs> what did your mom say? I can't do that. It's so difficult. <laughs> although, although I appreciate that. Good. Well, appreciating is a good first step. And that brings us to the last half of this purport. Um, the question raised here is whether or not a person afflicted by material desires, listen, this is a very important point, afflicted by material desires is fit to worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So you have material desires, can you worship Krishna? Yes. Correct? You're right. You got it right. <laughs> the answer is that everyone is fit to worship him. Even if one has many material desires to fulfill, he should take to Krishna consciousness and worship the Supreme Lord Krishna, who is so merciful that he fulfills everyone's desires. Through this narration, it will become very clear that no one is barred from worshiping the Supreme Personality of Godhead, even if one has many material desires. So uh, the, the famous verse in this regard is from the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Akama, sarvakamova, moksha kama utaradi, trivyena bhakti yogena, ejeta purusham param. So uh, whether one is akama, has no material desires, sarvakama, has all material desires, or moksha kama, just wants to get out of this place and maybe attain impersonal liberation, trivyena, they should very enthusiastically and with single-mindedness, tivrena bhakti yogena, engage in bhakti. So there's no one who's uh, barred 
Um, and there's this, also this famous uh, verse from the 11th canto, two verses, that says, having awakened faith in the narrations of my glory. So maybe your mom has some faith. Being disgusted with all material activities, knowing that all sense gratification leads to mercy, but still being unable to renounce all sense enjoyment, my devotee should remain happy and worship me with great faith and conviction. Even though he is sometimes engaged in sense enjoyment, my devotee knows that all sense gratification leads to miserable result, and he sincerely repents such activities. So there's no, you know, barring someone from taking up Krishna, from chanting Hare Krishna and worshiping Krishna, remembering Krishna, paying obeisances, and gradually, just as the cup filled with ink, if you keep on pouring milk into it, it'll turn eventually white, and it'll go different shades of gray until it gets white. Um, similarly, we become purified by these activities, uh, even if we maintain material desires, uh, as Druva is kind of doing in the beginning of this narrative. He's a perfect example. He had, he, whatever, I don't know, whatever desires we have in this room, they don't compare to Druva's. <laughs> You know, we may want like a a, a, a a Lexus or a Ferrari, even a Ferrari, even a Lamborghini, whatever. It's nothing compared to, uh, you know, or like a house overlooking the Potomac, you know, with 12 bedrooms and 12 bathrooms. It, you know, just think of whatever you can get in this world, right? You know, um, uh, it doesn't compare to what Druva wanted. He wanted more than Lord Brahma, who created the whole universe. So he was really thinking big. Yeah. So any thoughts? Any other thoughts on this? It's an important point because it impacts us. Because if we could only bring Krishna consciousness to people who were very pure and, you know... Um, or they were, you know, they had a Brahmin thread or whatever, then uh, you know, we'd be pretty bored. It wouldn't be where are you gonna find such a person, especially in Kali Yuga. But uh, actually, it says that Lord Nityananda delivers the the most fallen first <laughs> sometimes. So, um, so the so that view of seeing everyone as spirit soul, everyone is part and parcel of Krishna. And everyone, they're janmakar. They're just by taking birth, they have the adhikar to uh, be, uh, be a devotee because everyone is by nature a devotee, ultimately. Anything? Shall we carry on then? Okay. Text 36. My dear Lord, I am very impudent for not accepting your instructions, but this is not my fault. It is due to my having been born in a Chatriya family. Now, of course, we know we're born in certain families because of our fault, but he's just saying that. My stepmother, Suruchi, has pierced my heart with her harsh words. Therefore, your valuable instruction does not stand in my heart. O learned Brahmana, I want to, I want to occupy a position more exalted than any yet achieved within the three worlds by anyone, even my fathers and grandfathers. If you will oblige, kindly advise me on an honest path to follow by which I can achieve the goal of my life. And in the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes that 
One particular point mentioned here is that Druva wanted to occupy an exalted position not by hook or by crook, but by honest means. This indicates that if Krishna offered him such a position, then he would accept it. That is the nature of a devotee. He may desire material gain, but he accepts it only if Krishna offers it. Dhruva Maharaj was sorry to refuse the instructions of Naranamuni, therefore he requested him to be merciful to him by showing the path that he could fulfill his mind's desires. So, honest means... Uh, it, the, the, the one big advantage of, of being honest all the time is that you don't have to remember all the lies you told, who you told what lie to. Right? Because you might get him confused, right? Yeah. It's very much like that. Um, so, honesty generally is what a devotee follows. We're not... We're not Sentimental, right? If someone, there's a, there's a story in the Shastra about uh, um, a sadhu there in meditation or just sitting there and the, this, this very innocent person runs by and hides someplace and then a person with a big knife comes by and asks, you know, asks the sadhu, where, where is the, you know, did, did you see where she went? And you know, right over there because he didn't want to be dishonest, right? But that wasn't a good kind of honesty. Right, in that sense, could have right. Um, what what are they uh, in America? They say I cannot confirm or deny that. That's uh, one of the big sayings these days, <laughs> right? I cannot confirm or deny that. But in general, uh, honest means. Although Srila Prabhupada would joke about Vaishas, people who are uh, very good business people in India, right? And he'd say that they often wore mustaches because then it was hard to see them when they were smiling, when they were saying, for you, I make no profit. <laughs> you knew, you know, that that's just... I ever, you ever heard that when you were in India? You go, no, no, for you? Cost price. <laughs> in Loi Bazaar, yeah. Yeah, also. So, <laughs> so but in general... Honesty is the best policy. Hmm. Honesty is the best policy. It doesn't mean, um, yeah. You know, it's uh, there's also social things like if you if you uh, if someone uh, uh, invites you over to their house for prasadam for dinner, right? And they burnt the sabji, right? And you, they say, how did you like the subject? You know, for social intercourse, you know, social exchange, oh, it was terrible, it was so burnt, my God, how did you offer that? <laughs> you know, I said, oh, excellent. Ektam <laughs> paka. You know, you know, or at least, no, it was very nice. You know, because, again, for social, but in general, honesty is by far the best policy. In some cases, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait. 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 Well, if you're charging double or triple price, right? Uh huh. You cannot tell your customer because the customer do not understand what it goes in this. Right. Like for example, when we charge to government or something, we charge double or triple. And people don't understand why you're charging so high because it's a system cost. Right. You cannot tell. So 
then what do you say you don't tell them you say what i'm say, going to charge i am giving you a very special price yeah so that those kind of things and you keep it at that in your mind yeah. you're saying yes three times the cost <laughs> yeah <laughs> and whatever they are whatever assumption they're making kyakare yeah. <laughs> what to do <laughs> so that's right uh, yes not always in business you can say that right but um in general uh, in general with our with our what to speak of with devotees we uh we want to be because a person is a it, it is true heaven isn't it right if you're a habitual liar you forget what lie you told who <laughs> right it just becomes you know well, our life like what did mahatma gandhi say uh simple living and high thinking so one part of simple living is not having to, all this complexity in your mind who did i tell what did i tell that person the truth no i couldn't have i thought you know It, it yeah, you cannot be firm, you know, because if you keep saying different, different, you say maybe I said this, maybe I said yeah, this. Yeah. So you cannot be firm. No, I did not say that. I and, said this. And even in business, to some extent, uh, businesses also run a lot on trust, right? In the old days in India and and in America, right? Uh, businesses were done with a handshake, right, or a pranams <laughs> or whatever. Not necessarily even a written document. I'm talking, you know. Bygone days, right? They even say that uh, what's his name did that a lot. Um, the guy in charge of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett. Yeah, Warren Buffett. Yeah, that he in in, pre, in early days he would just handshake bus, you know, multi-million dollar. Yeah. Now they say you know lawyers tell you no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you want to say? Something? Yeah, Hare Krishna. I was going to say. Um Truth always triumphs in the end, right? Truth, yes. So it's okay to lie. <laughs> no, I didn't know. We didn't say it's okay to. Uh, we didn't. Uh, oh, it's okay to lie because truth always triumphs. I don't. I don't think that's a. Uh, that's what we call in logic a non sequitur. That the, the, it doesn't follow. <laughs> truth always comes out in the end, so we. It's okay to lie. <laughs> no, it's it's no, it's. Uh, and the other thing is that for a devotee we also want to give people the absolute truth right when you know the we want to uh nourish their soul by giving them krishna's instructions in the bhagavad gita or some prasadam right or let them hear the holy name you know the example given that even if you're very honest right and you you so a person is drowning and you uh you save their coat <laughs> but they drown right uh so so you know just just all the you know the on the material level the exchange is it's good to be in the mode of goodness which is generally to be straightforward in our dealings but uh and above that give the nourish that person's soul by giving them krishna consciousness one way or another just like we have the bhadra campaign right to to uh how how much is a set of books for only 175 dollars you can give someone a shrimad bhagavatam set on bhadra purnima and guaranteed to make rapid spiritual advancement right on that that day so my dear lord you are a worthy son of lord brahma and you travel playing on your musical instrument the veena for the welfare of the entire universe You are like the sun 
which rotates in the universe for the benefit of all living beings. The sage Maitreya continued, The great personality Narada, upon hearing the words of Dhruva Maharaj, became very compassionate toward him. And in order to show him his causeless mercy, he gave him the following expert advice. The great sage Narada told Dhruva Maharaj, The instruction given by your mother Suniti to follow the path of devotional service to the Supreme Personality of Godhead is just suitable for you. You should therefore completely absorb yourself in devotional service to the Lord. And Prabhupada writes that when Krishna offers anything, it is beyond the expectations of a devotee. Both Suniti and Nardamuni knew that the demand of Jubmaraj was impossible for any demigod to fulfill, and therefore both of them recommended following the process of devotional service to Lord Krishna. So there's also that saying that uh, for one who remembers Lord Chaitanya, the most difficult thing can become easy. And for one who forgets the Lord, the most easy thing can become difficult. Any person who desires the fruits of the four principles, religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, and at the end, liberation, should engage himself in the devotional service of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for worship of his lotus feet yields the fulfillment of all these. My dear boy, I therefore wish all good fortune to you. You should go to the bank of the Jamuna, where there is a virtuous forest named Madhuvan, and there be purified. Just go, by going there, one draws near to the Supreme Personality of Godhead who always lives there. And in the purport, Prabhupada says that places of pilgrimage yield a special advantage for a devotee in quickly advancing his spiritual life. So I think we've all had that experience. You go to, even the, the temple is also a dham. This is New Hastinapur dham. And we have Vrindavan dham and Mayapur dham and Puri Dham and Dwarka Dham and there's these uh, and they have a spiritual potency there, right? Vrindavan, uh, right? You know, wonderful place. Even now, even with all the commercialism and construction, it's still a wonderful place. Microphone. Mandrijan, I think, uh, because a lot of people has put a lot of uh, uh, sadhana, yeah, a lot of tapasya. Because when I come, as soon as I enter here, it's a different vibration. Yes, that's right. There's been so much devotional service done yeah, here since so 1976. Yeah. yeah. So that's why when you go Vrindavan, and still the atmosphere is there, Radhe Radhe, or yeah. you know, when you go other area, Gokul. Uh, the direction, Marsana, yeah, you, you, you go to Radhe Radhe. It's all atmosphere is like that. Yeah. So vibrations uh, there. It's very nice. So go to the Holy Dham is very nice. I uh, I spent some time with uh, this Brahmachari who is the um, he's in the uh, he's the chaplain at Georgetown University, and he's in Nimbarka Sampradaya. And uh, so he spent many years in Vrindavan. So just talking to him about Vrindavan brought back so many memories. <laughs> Last week we, were, we met. And so it's so nice just to, even to just remember the holy places is, is very special. And we're lucky because uh, by Srila Prabhupada's mercy, there are holy places around the world now. 
right? You can drive a few hours and go to Gita Nagari, like you said, a very holy place, or New Brindavan, right? Or the Baltimore Temple is just 45 minutes away. There's so many nice places where devotional service has been done. You, I mean, you can see, you can feel it, you know, like here, when I see somebody put a lot of efforts on these paintings, you know. Yeah. It's just not like he had nothing to do, let's paint. I did all this. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot of things. You know? Yes. Prabhu, you were going to say something? Hare Krishna Prabhu. It says of all the holy places, Prayag is the uh, highest uh, place of pilgrimage. How do we uh, understand that part? And then higher than Prayag? <laughs> it's like, uh, well, where does it say that? Huh? Is it in the purport? But then he says, and the topmost of them all is Brindavan. Similarly, there are other holy places of pilgrimage, such as Prayag, Allahabad, and Mathura, and the topmost of them is Brindavan. TK? Yes. So Prayag is nice. You have the confluence there of Saraswati. Well, actually, even though you can't see it, Saraswati, Jamuna, and Ganga. It's a very nice place, actually, to go to the tree Veni. There, it's nice. I've been there a few times. And they have a, a Kum, right, there. Kumamela is there in Allahabad. Nice place. But of all the places. And then above Brindavan is Govardhan. And above Govardhan is Radhakund. Yeah? I spent... My body was there. I don't know if my mind was there, but yeah. <laughs> so, do you know the places where Mirabai used to live? In? Uh-huh. Yeah, Mirabai, yeah, yeah. Really? Well, there, well, I know the Mirabai Temple. It's right next to Radhadamadar Temple. Right, there's a temple of Mirabai right, right across and a little further down the street. I'm pretty much like diagonal from the Radhadamadar Temples and Mirabai Temple. Mm, okay, well, next time I'll go and ask yeah, you. Yeah. No? Yeah. So there's one more story about Brindavan. So Tulsi Dasji was very much devoted to Lord Ram. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people told him to go Brindavan. He said, no, I'm not going to go. Right. Only one condition I will go, if Krishna will take a dhanus. Acha. Yeah. So he went Brindavan and that time the Krishna took dhanus. Acha. No, oh. So that's one of the very important. Uh-huh. So the Vrindavan has a lot of significance, a lot of people. So much significance. Story, so that's why Lord Chaitanya oh. fa- re- re-established yeah. it, actually. And of course it goes back to all of Krishna's pastimes being performed there. Mm-hmm. So in the Nectar of Devotion, Srila Prabhupada writes that even a person who's not interested in bhakti, when they go there, they experience a higher taste. So, uh, so even all those people that are going to Taj Mahal, they have to drive through Vrindavan. <laughs> right, if they go from Delhi. <laughs> There's a lot of story about Akbar too, right? You yeah, know? Akbar, yeah, yeah. He came himself rather than it calling somebody yeah. to listen all that. Anything else on Vrindavan? Yes. Uh, Prabhupada makes an interesting statement here. He says, 
Unless one is very advanced in spiritual life, it is recommended that he live in such holy places and execute devotional service. So he makes it seem like if you're not advanced, live there. Yeah. If you're advanced, go out and preach. Right, that's what he does say here. And then in other places he'll say, you know, Brindavan, uh, for the average person, stay there three days so you don't commit any sinful activities. Just, you know, usually you can handle it for three days. <laughs> I mean, the common person, not people in this room. Right. <laughs> yeah. Jiva? Hare Krishna. So we're talking of Devashinarad and Vindavan together. Yes. So there is also, right, southeast 400 meters of uh, Kusum Sarovar is uh, Narad Kund. Yes. And Devashi Narad, you know, he got that Gopal Mantra from Lord Brahma. He came to Vrindavan, meditated on it, pleased uh, Purnamasi. Vrinda Devi appeared to him, and then she, he wanted to serve Krishna. Yes. And that's his desire. And she gives him the clue that he should take a dip in Kusum Sarova. And he, taking the dip, he transforms into a gopi, Naradi gopi. So he gets to serve Krishna, gets the instruction from Krishna to write Narad Bhakti Sutra, and then um, he writes it where his temple means again near Narad Kund. And when he takes the second dip at the Narad Kund, he gets his original, you know, Narad Devashi Narad's you know male form. Mm. And that yeah. was the place where he gives instructions to Kayadu, the wife of Hiranyakashipu. And Prahlad Maharaj in the womb gets the instructions. And Krishna had revealed that uh, Daksha's curse would not have effect because Vrindavan is in spiritual world. Yes, so there's so many things happen in Vrindavan. <laughs> yes. So we should all go so on a trip. Stories. Let's go, go to the airport tonight and go. <laughs> Shila Prabhupada made it much easier. You want to go to Vrindavan tonight? <laughs> no problem. As long as she's back by next Sunday. <laughs> Narada Muni instructed, My dear boy, in the waters of the Jamuna River, which is known as Kalindi, you should take three baths daily because the water is very auspicious, sacred and clear. After bathing, you should perform the necessary regulated principles for Ashtanga Yoga, and then sit down on your uh, asana, sitting place, in a calm and quiet position. So he did kind of give him kind of brahminical instructions anyway, right? Um, after sitting on your seat, practice the three kinds of breathing exercises, and thus gradually control the life air, the mind, and the senses. Completely free yourself from all material contamination, and with great patience begin to meditate on the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And begin, the first sentence Prabhupada just writes that, in this verse, the entire yoga system is described in summary, and special stress is given to the breathing exercises for stopping the disturbing mind. And then later he says, but at the present moment, the mind has to be fixed directly on the lotus feet of the Lord by the chanting process. So everyone knows this about that there's a connection, not everyone, but it's, it's common knowledge that there's a connection between the mind and the breathing. Right, you, you see, even in 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 movies in America, that if someone is very upset, they say, "Take a deep breath." Right? So you, they know that there's something about. And if anyone's ever done pranayama, uh, uh, what is that? Aloma niloma. You know, 
and that, and there's different, you know, there's different uh, breathing ones. And you do feel, when you do pranayam, you do feel some peace of mind. So imagine, the, so if that helps a little bit, if that helps, but it's really hard to do in Kali Yuga, imagine how powerful it is to fix directly on the lotus feet of the Lord by the chanting process. If that's the more recommended thing for this age. But you can see, you can see that there's just this, it's natural. And anyone, I think if anyone's done pranayama, you know that you, you feel some equilibrium, some shanti, more uh, sattva guna. Right? Anyone ever had that experience? Even if you do it right now, it will take 30 seconds. Just focus on your breathing in and out. Imagine if you do that to the chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra. <laughs> Any thoughts on this? Hare Krishna? Hare Krishna. I was just going to say that um, Sanatana Goswami in Hari Bhakti Vilas, he says that before chanting, if you do like three pranayams, he recommends uh-huh. just three times do pranayam and your mind will become peaceful and you can chant nicely. Wow, very good. Very good. Andy? Sorry, I'm late, but I still want to make a comment. You forgot your computer? Your, oh, you got that. Okay. <laughs> but the, uh, I can only do uh, Hare Krishna chanting out loud when I'm breathing. I, I, I hope you don't I stop do, breathing. No, but I mean, I can't do it silently because there's no breathing pattern. You know, I can't synchronize when I'm just thinking it. Uh, I can't you have to chant out loud. Yeah, I have. That's to. good. Yeah, you're blessed because <laughs> that is that also, especially in Kali Yuga, is more powerful. We're not like Hari Das Thakur. It says um, that he so he chanted 192 rounds a day, and 64 were silent, 64 were japa, and 64 were out loud, were quite loud. Apparently, that's what I've heard. But um, it's harder. To uh, to chant silently, but it's sometimes the only thing we have if we're, you know, if we're in a business meeting, we might be chanting in our mind. We go, oh, honey, okay. Next verse, okay, forty-five. The form of the Lord is described here, and so now we're going to hear a series of verses describing. The form of the Lord. The Lord's face is perpetually very beautiful and pleasing in attitude. To the devotees who see him, he appears never to be displeased, and he is always prepared to award benedictions to them. His eyes, his nicely decorated eyebrows, his raised nose, and his broad forehead are all very beautiful. He is more beautiful than all the demigods. Narada Muni continued, The Lord's form is always youthful. Every limb and every part of his body is properly formed, free from defect. His eyes and lips are pinkish like the rising sun. 
He is always prepared to give shelter to the surrendered soul. And anyone so fortunate as to look upon him feels all satisfaction. The Lord is always worthy to be the, to be the master of the surrendered soul, for he is the ocean of mercy. The Lord is further described as having the mark of Srivatsa on this, or the sitting place of the goddess of fortune. And his bodily hue is deep bluish. The Lord is a person. He wears a garland of flowers and he is eternally manifest with four hands which hold, beginning from the lower left hand, a conch shell, wheel, club, and lotus flower. The entire body of the Supreme Personality of God at Vasudeva is decorated. He wears a valuable jeweled helmet, necklaces, and bracelets. His neck is adorned with a kashtuba jewel, and he is dressed in yellow silk garments. The Lord is decorated with small golden bells around his waist, and his lotus feet are decorated with golden ankle bells. All his bodily features are very attractive and pleasing to the eyes. He is always peaceful, calm, and quiet, and very pleasing to the eyes and mind. Real yogis meditate upon the transcendental form of the Lord as he stands on the world of the lotus of their hearts, the jewel-like nails of his lotus feet glittering. The Lord is always smiling, and the devotee should constantly see the Lord in this form as he looks very mercifully toward the devotee. In this way, the meditator should look, for, look toward the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the bestower of all benedictions. I had to stop for a meditator for a second because I'm so used to seeing mediator in my, my profession, so I had to get it right. 52. One who meditates in this way, concentrating his mind upon the always auspicious form of the Lord, is very soon freed from all material contamination, and he does not come down from meditating, meditation upon the Lord. The son of the king, O son of the king, now I shall speak unto you the mantra which is to be chanted with this process of meditation. One who carefully chants this mantra for seven nights can see the perfect human beings flying in the sky. That doesn't mean, you know, United Airlines or something like that. <laughs> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Okay, sure, why not? This is the 12-syllable mantra for worshiping Lord Krishna. One should install the physical forms of the Lord, and with the chanting of the mantra, one should offer flowers and fruits and other varieties of foodstuffs, exactly according to the rules and regulations prescribed by the authorities. But this should be done in consideration of place, time, and attendant uh, conveniences and inconveniences. And the purport Prabhupada talks about um, that this is a pranava mantra or, uh, or om, omkar, it's a pranava mantra that's really meant to be chanted. Well, no, hold on, take away really, erase that last sentence. That is understood sometimes to be meant to only be chanted by, you know, uh, the Brahmin caste. And so, um, Prabhupada writes that still, although not a Brahmana, but a Chatriya, Dhruva was allowed on the authority of Narada to pronounce the Pranava Omkar. That, this is very significant. Especially in India, the caste Brahman is object greatly 
When persons from other castes who are not born in Brahmin families recite the Pranava Mantra. But here is tacit proof that if a person accepts the Vaishnava Mantra or Vaishnava way of worshipping the deity, he is allowed to chant the Pranava Mantra. In Bhagavad Gita, the Lord personally accepts that anyone, even one of a low species, can be elevated to the highest position and go back home, back to Godhead, simply if he worships properly. And in the end, Prabhupada writes, the principle that only Indians and Hindus should be brought into the Vaishnava cult is a mistaken idea. There should be propaganda to bring everyone to the Vaishnava cult. The Krishna conscious movement is meant for this purpose. So Krishna says, he doesn't, you know, he says he's uh, Bhakta Vatsal, not, you know, Indian Vatsal or Hindu Vatsal or Muslim Vatsal or Islamic Vatsal, right? And he says that he's... Uh, Sarva Yonishu Kauntayat. Right? He, and he's a friend of all living entities. So Krishna doesn't make any distinction. We may in this life have this birth or that birth. Um, but ultimately we are uh, uh, servants of Krishna. Everyone. Jivera Swarupahaya Krishna Nitidas. Everyone is a servant of Krishna. And sometime, one time Prabhupada said, how many disciples do you have? Unlimited. Some un know it and some don't. Meaning that not because he's a guru, but everyone is Krishna's servant or God's servant. You know, if you want to get more, a little bit more um, generic, so to speak, you know, Krishna, you know we, whatever, everyone's a servant of the Lord. Everyone. So when we think about it, it's incredible. Just like tomorrow, we celebrate the anniversary of the day that Srila Prabhupada left India for America. Hmm? Uh, and when you think about it, and you think about our lives and how our lives have changed just by that act, that one person's act of uh, getting on a boat and take, getting two heart attacks, you know, it's the whole thing, living on the Bowery and everything. Um, it's, uh, it's a great mercy of, of Vaishnava, like Srila Prabhupada, to, uh, to understand this essential point that everyone, like we said earlier, everyone has a Janmakar, the ability to take up Krishna consciousness. Everyone. Doesn't matter their gender, doesn't matter their, uh, the color of their skin or their level of intelligence or even what species they're born in. Any thoughts on this? Even Chinese? Can we come devotees? Yes, Mataji. Hare Krishna. So Prabhu, the fact that, I mean, from Gita um, and several of Prabhupada's lecture, we learned that we are soul, we are not the body. Right. So, the fact that we may have, someone may have a Chinese body or someone may have an African body or someone may have a, any, any different body. I mean, that itself dispels this thought on the mind that someone should say that it's, I am born here so I can worship uh, Krishna or Krishna is not available to someone who is not born. 
right here and have not known him like that feeling itself and those doubts they just dispel one gets a better understanding and um so i mean personally speaking ever since i i am able to remember this most of the times mm-hmm. not not to go by the body itself Mm-hmm. and i'm able to see then that just because i may have friends and i know someone in different bodies that makes them no different right i mean that's very important i i know that it has important. made a big difference in my life the only thing about being born in india that's very well no i shouldn't say the only thing but one of the most important things about being born in india is lord chaitanya said that uh bharate brahmate how you how was that go that they I'm confusing two things but those who are born in India should take <laughs> up Krishna Bhumite hoyle manushya janmasar janmasar takori para upakar they should they should travel to America not to get a, a big house in uh, Potomac but to uh do good to others around the world because they have that connection with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so just one more thing i just remembered i just forgot i was trying to come to that point that so and then this um spiritual journey is ongoing like in um no endeavor in this path is lost like it said in gita neha vikramashasti right. so basically everybody is having their journey mm-hmm. they are advancing gradually through they may be getting different bodies yeah so this understanding is really good i mean you know that gives a lot of hope yeah that you know not to see like they are all doing different things they are all pursuing their paths you know going through this journey yeah going to krishna That's true andy was a rickshaw wala in calcutta last <laughs> life <laughs> you didn't know that <laughs> he came in touch with the devotees there you know and so, so he took his birth in america and <laughs> no but yeah it's um it's it's natural right forget about india but anywhere in the world boma ejadi that we think that our place of birth is you know I don't know like swaha worshipable but we kind of right if you're I think we all have the experience you meet you're traveling some place and meet somebody from your hometown no kidding you're from new york what part right you know like that or or whatever um so we want to be global citizens and therefore when uh Prabhupada was uh going to the temple I don't know if it was in Puri but some place and you had to write down your gotra right and what did which gotra did he put achuta gotra the gotra of krishna yeah so it's always very interesting it's kind of tricky right because we this body is our part of our parabdha karma so we have certain things that we were brought up with certain inclinations um even as devotees and we uh and we don't let that cover our bhakti right like the devotees in italy they like pizza <laughs> right or whatever you know or the you know devotee the devotee from gujarat becomes a devotee they still want their dal dokali and they still put sugar in sabjis right <laughs> right or whatever 
right? Um, and so we, we, we may, we may want to kind of direct or dovetail certain tendencies that we have in Krishna's service, like that. Other thoughts? Okay, then we'll carry on. Text 55, one should worship the Lord by offering pure water, pure flower garlands, fruits, flowers, and vegetables, which are available in the forest, or by collecting newly grown grasses, small buds of flowers, or even the skins of trees, and if possible, by offering tulsi leaves, which are very dear to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So these forests were very plentiful in those days, you know. Uh, I was just, to make a long story short, one time Srila Prabhupada was in St. Moritz in Switzerland in the winter. Uh, the devotees, well, I don't know if it was winter, but it was snow-capped. And they took him there, and they, you know, they, they thought it would be a good place for him to try to get his health together and to rest. And so uh, one time they were taking the train, leaving there and taking the train, and you see the beautiful Alps and the snow-covered peaks and everything, and the devotees are like, wow. You know, they're really like... Uh, glued to the window of the uh, train. And Prabhupada said, you call it St. Moritz, I call it St. Hellish. <laughs> and he said, look, it's snow-covered, there's no life. There's no... So from his point of view, we, you, know, uh, uh, you know, he had a different way of seeing it. From his point of view, you know, mountains should have, should have flowers and grasses and you know, all kinds of variety of animals and berries and fruits and this and that. Right, and he just saw snow everywhere. Oh, hellish. <laughs> it is possible to worship a form of the Lord made of physical elements such as earth, water, pulp, wood, and metal. In the forest, one can make a form with no more than earth and water and worship him according to the above principles. A devotee who has full control over his self should be very sober and peaceful and must be satisfied simply with eating whatever fruits and vegetables are available in the forest. My dear Druva, besides worshipping the deity and chanting the mantra three times a day, you should meditate upon the transcendental activities of the Supreme Personality of God in his different incarnations, as exhibited by his supreme will and personal potencies. One should follow in the footsteps of previous devotees regarding how to worship the Supreme Lord with the prescribed paraphernalia, or one should offer worship within the heart by reciting the mantra to the personality of Godhead, who is non-different from the mantra. Anyone who engages in the devotional service of the Lord seriously and sincerely with his mind, words, and body, and who is fixed in the activities of the prescribed devotional methods is blessed by the Lord according to his desire. If a devotee desires material re religiosity, economic development, sense gratification, or liberation from the material world, he is awarded, awarded these results. I, I highlighted those words seriously and sincerely because that comes up a lot in Prabhupada's discussions that he says these two words are the secret of success. Serious and sincerely. And in the purport, Prabhupada writes, devotional service is so potent that one who renders devotional service can receive whatever he likes as a benediction from the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So he says that there, and then at other times he would quote, Yasyaham Manubhinami Tadanam Shanai, that sometimes Krishna takes away your material opulence so that you're more dependent on him. So the reality, 
is it's up to your relationship with Krishna. And, and Srila Prabhupada told that story, we talked, I think, last week, that there's a form of Krishna with ten hands, and if he wants to give you something, how can you stop him from giving you just so much? And if he wants to take away things, he's got ten hands, how are you going to not have it taken away? Right? So, ultimately, it's up to Krishna. There are devotees who are very poverty-stricken, there are devotees who are very opulent. There's Sudama Brahmana, there's Pundarik Vidyanidhi in the Chaitanya Char, uh, Lila, right? So the idea for us is that whatever Krishna gives us, we, we're satisfied and we uh, worship him according to our means. Even if we can only uh, offer, what was it, what did, you know, you know, very little. Krishna accepts the bhakti. Any thoughts on this? Okay, well, we're really, uh, six, text 61, we still have 21 more verses. If one is very serious about liberation, he must stick to the process of transcendental loving service, engaging 24 hours a day in the highest stage of ecstasy. And he must certainly be aloof from all activities of sense gratification. When Dhruva Maharaj, the son of the king, was thus advised by the great sage Narada, he circumambulated Narada, his spiritual master, and offered him respectful obeisances. He then started for Mahavan, Madhuvan, which is always imprinted with the lotus footprints of Lord Krishna and which is therefore especially auspicious. After Dhruva entered Madhuvan forest to execute devotional service, the great sage Narada thought it wise to go to see the king, to see how he was faring within the palace. When Narada Muni approached, the king received him properly, offering him two obeisances. After being seated comfortably, Narada began to speak. The great sage Narada inquired, My dear king, your face appears to be withering up, and you look like you have been thinking of something for a very long time. Why is that? Have you been hampered in following your path of religious rights, economic development, and sense gratification? You did that very well. You took that out of the bag without making noise. Prabhupada writes, uh, Narada Muni did not inquire from the king about his liberation. So this is also mentioned in the Vedic literature how you would greet people according to their nature. So you go up to a brahmana or a sannyasi and you'd say, Adhishtam yattat punar janma vijaya. That means, how are you doing in your fight to overcome birth and death? And you go up to a king and you'd say, you know, how is the kingdom going? Right? You go up to a business person and say, how, how's, how's business? You go to a laborer and you say, how are you feeling? So actually, it's interesting, in traditional Indian culture, traditional Vedic culture, um, uh, greetings had a meaning. You actually meant it. You would you'd choose the greeting according to the person. What happens when you go to work on tomorrow? tomorrow? What are How's it going? How are you, you doing? Uh, okay, how are you? Uh, okay, have a nice day. Right? You know, it's usually, is it uh, fine? 
I, I, you know, I know people who are like, uh, I, I've, I noticed this with a coworker the other day. Um, they're having some really healthy, uh, serious health issues. But some, they, they passed somebody in the hall and I was just observing. And somebody said, how are you? And they said, oh, okay, fine. Because they don't want to get into the whole thing. Well, actually, you really want to know? You got 10 minutes? I'll tell you. I have this lower back problem. And I, you know, right? That's not, you don't really want to hear it. It doesn't. So very, we, we, we often, not always, but we can often live in this day and age in a very superficial way. Whereas even the greetings in Vedic culture were, had meaning and they were hand-picked and you actually cared to find out. I remember in high school, I told you this before, right? We had a little joke that, um, uh, you know, we, would, we tried for a day uh, that someone, see somebody, how's it going? Say, oh yeah, I'm dying of leukemia. Oh, good, very good. You know, they wouldn't even hear it. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't even hear it, right? Um, so, um, our exchanges with others are meant to uh, be meaningful, right? Um, and with devotees, we, uh, especially guyam akyati prachati, that we inquire confidentially and we, we reveal our minds. Now, obviously, you can't, you know, like a festival like today, you can't go up to 100 people and have a meaningful conversation with 100 people. But uh, it's important in spiritual life, as in any life, but especially in spiritual life, to have uh, friendships. And if you have three or four friendships, that's fine. You don't need 500 friends. You don't need, it's not, you know, a Facebook competition. Right? But if you have a few, friend, a few people that you could actually say anything to, and you know they're not going to go, ah, what are you talking about? Right on Facebook, Muhammad, you know, whatever. You know, but actually have that kind of trust. You're a very fortunate person. If you have two people like that in your life, you're a very fortunate person. But uh, there, there, were, there are, but our, our friendships are really important in... Uh, Naratam Das Thakur's prayers, he talks about his friend Ramachandra Prabhu. Right? Um, and uh, we saw with the six Goswamis, they would take prasadam together and, and, and talk about you know, Krishna and you know, uh, reveal their hearts and minds to each other. So it's, um, we don't want to just go throughout life with really just like superficial stuff superficial relationships. We actually want to have deep relationships. You can't have them with everyone, but with key people. So any thoughts on that? Hare Krishna. So you talked about the greetings. Theodore Roosevelt used to actually sometimes when he had visitors, you know, he would give similar responses. So he sometimes used to say, I just killed my grandmother today in the morning. And they would just ignore completely and move to the next topic. Right. Except for one person who came, you know, when he heard that, he responded back, I'm sure she had it coming. Hare <laughs> <laughs> Krishna. I know yesterday, uh, my wife was telling me, you know, everyone knows Keshava Prabhu, right? And so, um, Keshava went like this to my wife, and my wife went like this to Keshava, and uh, she went like this, and he went like this, and she went, I don't know, how do you make a heart sign? And then he made a heart sign. And another person saw that. Keshava has um, some dis disabilities. But he's a wonderful Vaishnava. 
Um, and so someone just saw that exchange and sent an email to my wife this early this morning saying, it was so wonderful to see that loving exchange between you and Kate. They didn't exchange any words, just, you know. So uh, you don't know uh, um, what impact you may have on another person, you know. I, I'm sure we've all had this experience. I had, uh, because I guess I give a lot of talks and stuff, but I'm sure all of us have had this experience that you might run into somebody 10 or 20 years later and they say, I remember when you said that such and such to me. That really helped, or that really hurt, you know, depending on what you said, right? Um, so we should try to wake up in the morning and think, everyone I meet, I'm going to try to make their life a little brighter today. Everyone. Right? Like that. It's a very good uh, meditation. It's a lot better meditation than, oh, I'm going to read, meet a lot of stinking rotten people today and, you know, <laughs> make sure I don't open the door for any of them. <laughs> right? Yes. It's good to do that. So like today, our Nandimuki led her first Tulsi Puja Kirtan, right? First one? It was wonderful. And uh, I, was, I was told my wife later that you're a very observant person because you, did, you got all the nuances of how to lead that kirtan perfectly right, even though it was the first time you led it. So that you have this sense of perception. The king replied, O oh, best of the brahmanas, I am very much addicted to my wife and I am so fallen that I have abandoned all merciful behavior. We are just talking about that. Even to my son, who is only five years old, I have banished him and his mother, even though he is a great soul and a great devotee. My dear Brahmana, the face of my son was just like a lotus flower. I am thinking of his precarious condition. He is unprotected and he might be very hungry. He might have, uh, he might have laid down somewhere in the forest and the wolves might have attacked him to eat his body. Alas, just see, I was conquered by my wife. Just imagine my cruelty. Out of love and affection, the boy was trying to get up on my lap, but I did not receive him, nor did I even put him, uh, nor did I even pat him for a moment. Just imagine how hard-hearted I am. The great, Narada, great sage Narada replied, My dear king, please do not be aggrieved about your son. He is well protected by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Although you have no actual information of his influence, his reputation is already spread all over the world. Prabhupada writes that Sharanagati, or surrender, means acceptance or firm belief that whenever, wherever the surrendered soul lives, he is always protected by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is never alone or unprotected. Juva Maharaj's affectionate father thought his young boy, only five years old, to be a very, in a very precarious position in the jungle. But Narada Muni assured him, you do not have sufficient information about the influence of your son. Anyone who engages in devotional service anywhere within this universe is never unprotected. So we are actually asked uh, to trust that... Um, that we are not alone, we're never abandoned, we're, uh, we're not forgotten by Krishna. Krishna, he's right there in our hearts, 
right? He, uh, he's accompanied us when we went through the channel of our mom to, get, to, to be born. He's accompanied us when we were our first day of school. He's accompanying us to the temple today, and he's accompanying us even on our deathbed and even into the next body that we have. Um, so Krishna is protecting. And, and Prabhupada, of course, is writing this from strong realizations that he came to America with no money, with no, no, no followers, nothing. Nothing. 40 rupees. Couldn't even convert it into dollars at that time. Right? Even today, you can't go with... We even had five lakhs and you go to Bank of America, they'll just say... Right? They're not going to take it back. <laughs> um, but he was... But Prabhupada was given the name Abhai and, or Abhai Charan. One who's fearless at Krishna's lotus feet. So... Uh, Uttanapad, uh, the father of Dhruva, made the wrong assumption. He, uh, he had a certain assumption that any, naturally, that a five-year-old child is going to be in danger in the forest. And Narada clarified that. Not one who's protected by the Lord. So this is also, of course, meant for us to have that trust. That doesn't mean we're going to live for 250 years. Um, but that Krishna protects his, the consciousness of his devotees, especially. Any thoughts on this? Okay, then. My dear king, your son is very competent. Wouldn't it be nice to get this kind of, you know, you haven't heard from somebody for a long time, a loved one, and then someone from a faraway place says, no, no, don't worry. They're on a secluded island, and they're very happy. He will perform activities which would be impossible even for the great kings and sages. Very soon he will complete his task and come back home. That would must have been pleasing for him to hear also, right? You should know that he will also spread your reputation all over the world. The great Maitreya continued, The king, Uttanapad, after being advised by Narada Muni, practically gave up all duties in relationship with his kingdom, which was very vast and wide opulent like the goddess of fortune, and he simply began to think of his son, Dhruva. Elsewhere, Dhruva Maharaj, having arrived at Madhuvan, took his bath in the river Jamuna and observed fasting in the night with great care and attention. After that, he advised, as advised by the great sage Narada, he engaged himself in worshipping the Supreme Personality of Godhead. For the first month, Dhruva Maharaj ate only fruits and berries on every third day. What do, they, what do they say in those commercials? Do not try this at home. Right? Um, only to keep his body and soul together. And in this way, he progressed in the worship of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Prabhupada writes that we should always remember that to become a bona fide devotee of the Lord is not an easy task. But by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, he has made it very easy. So we don't have to do what Dhruva is about to hear. We're going to hear more about it. In the second month, Dhruva Maharaj ate only every six days. And for his edibles, he took dry grass and leaves. Thus, he continued his worship. On the third month, he drank water only every nine days. Now, you can't do that today. Don't, like I said, don't even think about it. Thus, he remained completely entranced and worshipped the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who was adored by selected verses. 
In the fourth month, Sri Maharaj became a complete master of the breathing exercise, and thus he inhaled air only every 12th day. <laughs> Definitely don't try that. <laughs> in this way, but the yogic perfections, such things, of course, this is a different, this is millions of years ago, it's a different universe. In this way, he became completely fixed in his position and worshipped the Supreme Personality of God. Oh my God, there's more. In the fifth month, Maharaj Dhruva, the son of the king, had controlled his breathing so perfectly that he was able to stand on only one leg, just as a column stands, without motion, and concentrate his mind fully on the Parabrahman. He completely controlled his senses and their objects, and in this way he fixed his mind without diversion to anything else upon the form of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When Dhruva Maharaj thus captivated the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is the refuge of the total material creation, and who is a master of all living entities, the three worlds began to tremble. So yogic powers can give you this incredible powers. As Dhruva Maharaj, the king's son, kept himself steady, standing on one leg, the pressure of his big toe pressed down half pressed down half the earth, and just as an elephant being carried on a boat rocks the boat left and right with his every step. When Dhruva Maharaj became practically one in heaviness with Lord Vishnu, the total consciousness, due to his full, fully concentrating and closing all the holes of his bodies, the total universal breathing became choked up, and all the great demigods and all the planetary systems felt suffocated. And thus took shelter of the Supreme Personality of God at Jai Sisi Gornitai Sitaram Lakshmananaman Shishi Radhamadan Mohan. The demigod said, My dear Lord, you are the refuge of all moving and non moving living entities. We feel all living entities to be suffocating, their breathing process choked up. We have never experienced such a thing. Since you are the ultimate shelter of all surrendered souls, we therefore approach you. Kindly save us from this danger. And the last verse, the Supreme Personality of God had said, My dear demigods, do not be perturbed by this. It is due to the severe austerity and full determination of the son of King Uttanapad, who is now fully absorbed in thought of me. He has obstructed the universal breathing process. You can safely return to your respectful homes. I shall stop this boy in his severe acts of austerity, and you will be saved from this situation. Prabhupada writes, all the demigods were afraid of being totally vanquished by suffocation, but the Supreme Personality of God had assured them that Dhruva Maharaj was a great devotee of the Lord and was not about to annihilate anyone in the universe. A devotee is never envious of other living entities. So what would be a good mind, what would stop a devotee from being envious? What, what would, what, how would, would that... Um, what would be their mindset, Andy? Their identity with an external anything. Ah, external. so if you don't have external identity. Yeah, if you know your true identity as a servant, then you don't care about what anybody else is doing, really. That's Good. The way I understand it. Uh huh. So you said what would stop someone from being envious? Yes. I would say the absence of comparison. Absence of comparison. Very good. Yes, comparison is a uh, is a very yeah. Oh, you know, you know, well, keeping up with the what do they say in America? Keeping up with the uh, the Joneses or in India, keeping up with the Agarwals or the Patels or whatever, right? 
you know, well, that, they, have a, they have a brand new Camry, so I have to get a Lexus. I have to outdo them, right? Or my, they're, they're built their house that's so big, I have to build my house bigger. Or their child got into Yale, so my child has to get into Harvard. Or now I'm really upset because my child only got into Penn. Or, you know, whatever. And the whole life can be, like you said, a life of, of comparison. But if one sees that they're a de- I'm a devotee of Krishna, Krishna's get, whatever I've gotten, it's Krishna's will for me and my karma. And if that person has more. They have a relationship with Krishna also. Right? So a lot of it is just not seeing Krishna's hand in anything. Right? Because why should I be envious if I think my father gave you something that you deserve and I have that relationship with my father, with Krishna, and, uh, you know, I understand the law of karma and, you know, um, and I have my path to Krishna and you have your path to Krishna. Um, What else? Anything else about how we can have the right mindset to not be envious of others? Yes. Microphone? Uh, by the, the study today, you mentioned Krishna has eight hands. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah, eight hands, ten and hands. Eight yeah. hands, he, sometimes he took where you can know. He can take away, he can give, yes. So, uh, as you say, uh, for me, I, my understanding is we shall, we shall not be envy because Krishna give us what is enough for us. Uh, right. what, is, what is enough for us. That's right. Krishna gives us what's, what's enough for us. Yes. And whatever that is, we have enough to be uh, Krishna conscious. Very good. So let's end on that. Did you want to say something, Mahamantra? Oh. So let's end on that note, and we finish chapter 8, and we will go forward, because Maharaj Juv is going to return home. And it's going to be very interesting what happens when he returns home. So uh, next Sunday, I guess there's class. It's the day before Janmastami. What's that? Yeah, so no class next Sunday. Everyone's going to be, we're all going to be absorbed in doing seva to prepare for Janmastami and the crowds that come on Janmastami Day. And if anyone wants to hang out with me, I'm going to be parking cars on Janmastami. Hare Krishna, all glories to the world.